Welcome. We're Brian and Jackie, or Jackie and Brian. It's up for debate. This is As the Ice Cream Churns. Together, we founded Ample Hills Creamery, one of the most popular and beloved ice cream brands of the last decade. Food Network named us the best in the country, and Oprah chose us as one of her favorite things. We lived, breathed, slept, and ate Ample Hills for 10 years, building it into a company with sales of $10 million annually across 16 shops in four states. Then we lost it all. I mean, everything. We filed for bankruptcy in March 2020, a day before New York City shut down due to COVID-19. Then three months later, Ample Hills sold for $1 million to a machine parts company out of Portland, Oregon. And no, we didn't get a dime of that money, nor should we have. It went to our creditors. We ended up with nothing, and we are out of work. But we are ready to start over. Come and join us for an exploration of what went wrong, and more importantly, what comes next. Our guide, if you will, will be our close friend, Debbie Rosen. She'll grill us on these and other subjects. You may know Deb from her starring role in our first hit flavor, Salted Cracked Caramel. She's the inventor of Deb's Cracked Cookies. Debbie is a therapist when she's not baking. She's not our therapist, but we thought it might be helpful if she played the part as interviewer in this series to help navigate the troubled waters with us. Let's get started. Um, okay, I think, are we recording? Where is the thing say? Oh, yes, we are recording. Great. <laughs> Why don't we start with how you're feeling? Uh, hmm. Yes, well, I mean, it's a, a mixed bag, you know. Uh, I, I think uh, the uh, number one word is just overwhelmed, feeling overwhelmed. Uh all the time with so many different uh, emotions and 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 just feeling conflicted emotions I, I was taking uh kaleo our son on a play date the other day and you know it's been three four weeks now since we left ample hills and it was the first time uh this play date happened to be right next to an ample hills and um and it was just it, it was just bizarre to feel like i i needed to avoid the space instead of sort of you know this sort of conflicted feeling of a longing to go into the space and uh, the other feeling of like wanting to avoid it like the plague i mean it was just um i, I don't know it brings to mind a, another whitman poem because you know our, our name ample hills originally comes from walt whitman right uh crossing brooklyn ferry um what is it i too lived brooklyn of ample hills was mine and there's another one we did a flavor for called I Contain Breakfast Foods, which is a line, um, a you know, do I contradict myself? Uh, yes, I contradict myself. I am large. I contain multitudes. And I, I just think, you know, we can feel all of these things, rage and anger and jealousy and um, pain and suffering and also a sense of uh, hope and um, 
positivity and all of these things. And they can all happen at the exact same time, which I think is ultimately uh, how I'm doing. Jackie? Wow, that was profound. Yeah, why? <laughs> I mean, and it really, and it connected Whitman. Like, you're amazing. I love that. <laughs> How are you um, feeling? Well, at this moment, I'm feeling a little giggly, but um, if you were to ask me about, you know, how I, I normally am feeling walking through the world since uh, Ample Hills, I, I would say sad. Um, you know, I mean, I wake up in the morning, I'm sad. I, I go to sleep at night, I'm sad. I walk anywhere in Brooklyn, and, and there's an ample hills, like, near us, like you said. And it's just, it's a feeling of just um, exactly what you just described, wanting to go in there and to help and to see the employees and to, to scoop. I mean, that was one of the things I loved doing, and to meet with customers and and all of that has been completely um, ripped away. And so it just, you know, it feels it feels really sad and hard. And I feel violated, like people have come in and taken away uh, a, a piece of my heart, you know, mm-hmm. like a, our, our third child is gone and and somebody else owns it now. I mean, mm-hmm. which just feels very violating and weird. But happy and optimistic, too, right? Well... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, how, how, how do you coexist at this time with, you know, right there is what you built, but it's not yours anymore? How do you envision living in Brooklyn and being able to tolerate that? That's a really, really great question, Deb. Um, <laughs> I think every day is a is a different, you know, uh, feeling for me about how to continue to live in the place that I love dearly, New York City. I grew up here. I, you know, been living in Brooklyn for um, 30 years. And, you know, I grew up in Queens and Manhattan. And so, um, so figuring that out is kind of what we've been doing and what Mm -hmm. I struggle with on a daily basis. Yeah. And how do you support each other during this? (laughs) <laughs> yeah i mean that's a it's a challenge because we're not always on the same page uh emotionally i mean you know um we so might... tell me more about that yeah i mean you know i think there are times when i feel more optimistic and more um positive about things uh, moving forward and um you know i think jackie does more of the morning for us and then you know and then i do more of the you know, uh, glass half full, um, for us. And it, 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 it definitely, um, it can, it can, it can be complicated, uh, and hard. Um, I don't know. I'm not comfortable with the degree of, um, uh, of sadness. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I mean, I just said like, you know, and happiness and optimism, you know, a couple minutes ago. And I, I know I got, you know, that that was not cool because like, I'm just, it's like trying to not feel comfortable with uh, the degree of, of, of pain and suffering. I can talk about it intellectually, but it's hard to, to go there emotionally because I just want to keep getting back up on the horse and move ahead and move ahead and move ahead. Mm-hmm. Right. And Jackie does the morning for you and you're the cheerleader. Yeah. Yeah. And what about the children and how are they reacting to it? And what have you told them? Yeah, I mean, they're they're definitely reacting to it. Um, 
you know, I mean, Ample Hills was like their sibling. So, you know, they had, they grew up in Ample Hills. They, you know, sat birthday at the end parties, of the, their birthday parties were all in Ample Hills. Yeah, every, every birthday party um, that Nona had from age five to, you know, age 12 basically was at an Ample <laughs> Hills in some form. Um, Kaleo as well. So it's, um, you know, Nona was actually hoping to work there this, this yeah, year. That's right. And, uh, yeah. and we, were, we were hoping to have her work there because before we um, uh, left Ample Hills, we, <laughs> during, during quarantine times, when we first opened the shop um, in May, uh, Nona was helping us um, when it was just the family actually opening this, this scoop shop um, at Gowanus and at Vanderbilt. And she was amazing. Like mm-hmm. she was, she was, she was so good with customers. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, it was just really wonderful to see. So she learned from her mom. She learned as well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, you know, I mean, and and I think just just hearing from other people about you know Ample Hills, uh, especially for a fourteen-year-old, that's how old Nona is now, is is difficult that we no longer part of the company Mm -hmm. so you know there was an identity that she felt very good about i think Mm -hmm. being the the daughter of the ample hills right they don't talk much about it i mean you know they don't you know they're not processing their feelings about it i don't think but um it affects them yeah i can imagine so how did everything start no that's going way back yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i guess I guess we should talk about the beginnings. <laughs> yeah, the beginnings uh, we should. Um, and I, I mean, really, I was a screenwriter. Um, I, I was, was a teacher. Yeah, I was writing, uh, you know, bad monster movies for Sci-Fi Channel, and producing and directing audio books and radio plays. And you know, I was the one that was obsessed with ice cream. You know, we made ice cream at the you know, um, for parties and for friends, and um, you came over and had ice cream, Deb. Uh, oh, and, definitely. And so, you know, it was it was great. Uh, I just I found that I was making ice cream as a creative outlet to uh, screenwriting, which is kind of weird because screenwriting is a creative um, uh, process, writing. But I was finding more uh, fulfillment in the work of making flavors of ice cream. You know. How so? What was it about it that was fulfilling? I think that, you know, there's something about ice cream in particular among all the food and food groups that really connects us to childhood. I mean, there's an innocence uh, and a joy. And if you go around a room, which, you know, years later we did when, when I would teach uh, ice cream classes and we would ask people for an early memory of ice cream or a childhood memory of ice cream. And everything changes. Everybody has this memory of either chasing down an ice cream truck or going to celebrate um, a birthday at an ice cream shop when they were kids. And and it's good ice cream, bad ice cream, it doesn't matter. There's something uh, so powerfully um, American about ice cream and about its connection to childhood. And I think that, you know, I was 40 when we started all of this. And so I, I think of ice cream as my midlife crisis. Cool. <laughs> like it's like a, you know, instead of a sports car that makes you feel younger, uh, it, it was this ice cream that, you know, sort of connected back to that 
that joy uh, of discovery and wonder that you feel as a kid. And I thought if we could make ice cream like that and share that with people uh, and connect people to something more than the combination of milk, cream, sugar, and eggs, that um, we might have something worth worth doing. Mm-hmm. This yeah. also connects to you know, the morning. I mean, there's a lot of reasons mm-hmm. um, for sure. But having that um, ability to spread joy yeah. and happiness, having that kind of taken away from you, at least temporarily, um, is difficult. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> I mean, that really is it. Yeah. it. It's, you know, the summertime was the best time, right? You yeah. know, um, and, and just seeing the look on somebody's face when you gave them a sample of a flavor they that really spoke to their heart and soul um, was just an amazing moment. And it just bring, bringing that joy and seeing the joy in somebody else's face when they tried their first taste of ooey gooey butter cake or salted cracked caramel or mm-hmm. corn to run. <laughs> um, it was amazing. Yeah. So now we know why ice cream. Mm-hmm. So what's next? So, I mean, we started with a push cart. Um, it, 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 I didn't want to start with a push cart. I mean, I wanted, I wanted to start with a push cart. I wanted to just <laughs> open up a big shop. I'd go for it. You know, a push cart just seemed like, eh, it's just a tiny little push cart. But, you know, Jackie's probably right. She wanted to, you know, see if I actually liked making ice cream for a living, if people actually liked buying the ice cream, if there was a model. So we started with a push cart and uh, Celebrate Brooklyn. It's a concert series in, in um, Park Slope and Prospect Park. Um, and we did that one summer, uh, the summer of 2010. Mm-hmm. And by the end of that summer, uh, we knew that, you know, it worked. People responded positively to it. I liked making the ice cream and, uh, and we had fun connecting with people and selling it, uh, in the park. And so we started looking for a location and, um, I was also still trying to, you know, do audiobook work and get gigs and, you know, pay the bills. Cause at the end of the day, um, you know, Jackie was teaching and she was supporting us with her teaching salary. And, you know, we were, trying to get the shop open so that you know brian had a job and... well we were yeah i mean we 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 weren't 100 percent sure until after that summer that we definitely knew then that we wanted to yeah. open a scoop shop and um and we used to go to dinner at really good friends of ours phoebe and ohad um on vanderbilt avenue and uh and that was after one of those dinners we we walked by that corner location and it said um, you know, a four, there was a four rent sign out there and we're like, Hmm, it said no restaurants, but we're like, well, not really a restaurant. <laughs> and that's when we called up, um, the landlord, I think, you know, the next day, Ohad and Phoebe yeah. were like, you've got to, you've got to rent this space. You've got to mm-hmm. rent this space. Um, and, um, and it was, Dan was, uh, amazing. You know, he wanted to, uh, have the ice cream shop there and what did he have that well so before we had ended up signing that lease or he had spoken with us chase bank had offered to take over the front half of the space so not even the entire space but just the front half 
and they would make it into an ATM machine. And there were no ATM machines on Vanderbilt Avenue. So, um, you know, they were offering basically twice the amount of money and rent that we could offer. And, you know, to Dan and Catherine's credit, they said no, because <laughs> they owned the building since the 80s. They, they lived, lived in the in community. The yeah. yeah, they lived in the building. And the, the you know, they wanted an ice cream shop. They wanted something for their community. Right. They didn't want an ATM machine. And, um, and so we were able to, you know, rent that space for, for not that much money. And, and Dan ended up building it out because he was also a contractor. So that was also really wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but before, you know, we signed that lease, do you remember, yeah. like, I mean, what, what a difficult decision that was? I mean, it was in October. That's right. October, maybe, of that year, of 2010. Yeah. And, um, you know, I hadn't worked in three, I hadn't gotten a gig in three or four months, and uh, but I'd been out there trying to do it, and we were, you know, we'd sold ice cream over the summer. Uh, right. But that had dried up, and um, you'd gone back to work teaching, and... Um, we had been negotiating this lease with Dan and it was like yeah. the week that we were going to sign the lease. Yeah. That very same week, that same week, I got a call from an audiobook company offering me a job, like a, a full job to run the audiobook division of that company. Great salary. Yeah. yeah. Great salary. Good benefits. Benefits, all that stuff. Everything. And, you know, the kids were, what, three and one or mm-hmm. three and six months or something? No, he was, they, it was three and one. Yeah. They were little. And we had a lot of bills and uh, responsibility. And, uh, you know, in what world do you turn down that job and you, um, you know, go for this crazy dream of like taking all of our life savings and throwing them into an ice cream shop. Right. So this is a fork in the road. And why did you choose to do the unexpected? Yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, I didn't, I mean, for the first 24 hours or so, I I, I accepted the job. I was like, there's, uh, there's not a decision to be made. I cannot as a responsible adult and parent at 40 years old, turn down this job. I mean, we spent uh, $225,000, which was our whole life savings to open that shop. So we basically got, we went from $225,000 to zero to open the shop. And we could have kept all that money and I could have taken that job. I don't know, it's sounding like a good thing now, but no, I'm I'm sure it wasn't. Well, 225,000 sounds like a great thing now. Well, why, why don't you uh, remind us why we decided to, to why, change them? Yeah. Why we decided? Well, yeah. no, because I, you know, I think you at the time felt very guilty about wanting to open the shop. And I remember feeling at that moment in time that, you know, sad when you decided that we should just, you should just take the job. And you were confused as to why I would be sad because you thought that I was going to be like, no, 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 you're right. You should take the job. And I had gotten all of my hopes and dreams attached to the fact that we were going to be opening this community gathering space, this scoop shop, this place for the neighborhood that, you know, we had always wanted as parents. And when, when that, you know, fork in the road or spoon in the road, right. Um, happened, I, 
I said, no way. I'm like, we, we've got to do this. We've yeah. just got to go for it. Yeah. Whatever happens, happens, you know. Um, yeah. And to your credit, I mean, the thing that I remember most about that moment in time is just that, you know, you said you didn't, you, you knew I would be miserable going and taking that job. Well, right. And, I mean, that was the thing. I, you know, yeah. I knew you would. You were you were so excited about it. I was so excited about it. The kids, well, they didn't know much, but, you know, they were just little, but, but they were excited about you, ice cream. Yeah, <laughs> but you, I remember you saying you didn't want your kids to have a miserable father. Exactly. You know? And so, you know, if we were happy and, and struggling through ice cream, so, yeah. you know. I think it was good, you know. It's it, it better to have loved and lost than to never have That's loved. That's right, yeah. <laughs> and I think, uh, you know, at the end of the day, of course, it was better to have, have, have gone through the last 10 years than to have not done it. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And it sounds like from the beginning, the whole um, idea of Ample Hills was began with Dan and Catherine, the whole idea that, you know, you were at a dinner, you see this local shop, and then his support of the two of you, which is really what continued throughout. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, that, that spirit, um, was so important to the beginning of the company and, and who we are as people and, how we wanted to um, to be as a community ice cream yeah. shop. You know, and the fact that he did he he was a contractor and he did actually end up building out our shop. So you know, our landlord built the shop and was intimately involved in every you know aspect of it uh, all, all the way through. So it was um, you know a, pro- a profound you know sort of gathering of, of families to to build out this ice cream shop. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know that was that took I don't know about six six months um, from you know the the late fall of 2010 and through the spring of 2011, um, you know leading up to opening day uh, in May. Yeah, we we opened. Um, well, we opened I guess uh, right before Memorial Day weekend on that Wednesday because. Um, yeah. So I'm 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 going to ask when you first opened, what was your wildest dream? And then I'm going to ask that later as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before we opened, what was the wildest dream? I mean, it was, um, yeah, I, I guess it was to have a shop that could uh, support me and have a, have a job. I mean, it was a low bar at the beginning. It was the idea uh, I mean, we really had planned for um, failure. We didn't really plan for success. So we went around and we went to a ton of ice cream shops. And uh, I took Kaleo when he was like six months old to like every ice cream shop in the five boroughs and also Jersey and Connecticut and um, counted customers and um, um, counted number of scoops sold and things like that. And so I had an idea of how many scoops we had to sell each day to pay the bills and to pay a salary. And that's the way we designed the business. Mm-hmm. We hadn't conceived in any way, shape or form or dreamed really of something that was two times that or three times that or four times that. Yeah. Right. Of course, 
that's exactly what happened. <laughs> we, we ended up with, you know, two times that, three times that, I don't know, maybe four times that, uh, right out of the gate, you know, on yeah. day one. So let's talk about the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. So that was a, that was such a crazy time. I mean, we, we were working really hard to try and get the shop open, um, before Memorial day. And, um, <laughs> and we had Danielle, who is, who is our friend who designed the shop. Um, she painted the mural. She helped create all of the, all, everything about, you know, the interior and exterior signage of the shop. Um, she was with us. Dan was with us. We were, we were working hard to try and get it done before Memorial Day weekend. And, um, and we did. And so, so we opened on the Wednesday and it was, um, it was hot and beautiful. It was like a perfect May, you mm -hmm. know, day. And the New York times wrote about it that day. Florence, Florence Fabricant yeah. wrote it, wrote about it. And so we were, we, we had a lot of people coming in to check us out and yeah. the lines just started to form and then they didn't stop. Yeah. An important thing to, to note here is that, um, I had not trained anybody how to make ice cream. I was the only one that made ice cream. Mm -hmm. I mean, because, you know, my numbers and my basic idea was, you know, that was what it would take. I, I would make all the ice cream. And I also was the only one making ice cream cones at that time. And we'd made this boneheaded decision not to offer any cones, like wafer cones or sugar cones or anything, only homemade cones. Yeah, our spiral cones, <laughs> our signature spiral cones Which that we're very excited about. Gorgeous. We, we changed out the waffle cone plates to, um, with it, made it a spiral design. Yeah. And we're, yeah, beautiful and delicious, vanilla yeah. bean cones. But not terribly efficient to only offer that. No. And to also only be the only one making ice cream. Right, and I have the burns to prove that it was only <laughs> That's right. You were an amazing cone maker because of your experience with pottery and heat. Yeah. You, you knew how to deal with, like, you know... Yeah, those that was rough. We didn't even have the right supplies in the beginning either, so um, or the right gloves to 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 use when you were making those cones. The biggest challenge was that we couldn't make enough ice cream, and so on that first day, um, we could see um, even on that very first day that if we sold ice cream at the pace that we were selling it that day, I wouldn't be able to keep up. Now, we sort of thought, well, maybe it's the first day and the rest of the days won't be like that. But, um, you know, they were. But I mean, also yeah, no, it, it's true. But you also have to what we were trying to do at the time. Again, we weren't thinking that we were going to be that successful. So we had a very small kitchen. Right. I mean, that was what we had and what we we're going to you know, have anyway, because that was the size of the space. But it was 175 square feet. Um, Brian was pasteurizing all the mix on site, um, and he can talk a little bit more about why that was really important to us and part of our vision to begin with. But, um, you know, it, it was a tiny, tiny little space to yeah. do all of this, this stuff and that, that we, we had no idea that we were going to sell that much ice cream that no. quickly. Yeah. Yeah, we wanted to make everything from scratch, from beginning to middle and end. I mean, it was one just like a, a desire to be creative. I mean, I had 
been a screenwriter and I and I wanted to be able to uh, tell the story of how uh, ice cream got made from the beginning to the end and not only tell it I wanted to be able to show it so people could come into that first shop on Vanderbilt and see these illustrated signs that we had set up that walked people through the narrative and through the process we realized very early on that you know storytelling was going to be a big way of how we differentiated the brand of Ample Hills from other ice cream brands, you know, that, that, that telling that story. Um, yeah. Just, um, I have a, just to say something about behind the scenes of that story, which is I re my recollection is that you were working 18 hours making ice cream. Jackie and I were selling ice cream in the park mm -hmm. um, and we would come to pick you up at I don't know 11 <laughs> or 12 and you wouldn't have eaten all day the only place open was McDonald's oh my yes McDonald's. making you know <laughs> um organic um artisanal. Scratch, artisanal ice cream and then you know chowing down McDonald's at the mm, end oh my god so good yeah <laughs> it was so good yeah maybe not quite 18 hour days but they were definitely some 14 and 16 hour days and and I remember um, so distinctly that actually that very, very, very first night, because, you know, the first day was like a 14 or 16 hour day, but it had followed after six months of actually working and pouring all of our blood, sweat and tears into getting to that opening day. Mm -hmm. And I remember going to bed that night and we were lying in bed and, and it was exactly like the feeling of the first night when we brought <laughs> Nona home from the hospital mm -hmm. and having her lie in between us and go, oh my God, what have we done? Like, <laughs> you know, I remember profoundly wanting to like give Nona back, <laughs> like just that feeling of like, wait, okay, we've had her, this is wonderful, but like, I, we, Can we you know, I don't know how to, I don't know how to take care of this thing. Like, this is yeah. terrifying and like wanting to not go into work the next day. Like, okay, we did it. Yay. Congratulations. We opened the shop. Now can we take yeah, a now six can month, we go home yeah, can we <laughs> and go to sleep? Six month break? <laughs> right. And I just, I remember it being so difficult to like get up the next day and to like, just do it again and yeah. again. And again, I mean, you know, luckily from that point of view, we did only have to do it for three more days before we <laughs> ran out of all the ice cream and had to shut down. Right. Yeah. So talk about that. Oh. oh, my God. Yeah. Well, so that that first night before we went home, I, I'll, I'll never forget that also. It's just the amount of um, community support and excitement that people had coming into the shop. And, you know, while we were working really hard to open the shop, we had no idea that everybody else was like was secretly or not secretly, but, you know, um, just so excited about us opening. So when they we finally did open, um, the hordes of people just kept coming in and getting ice cream and, you know, which led us obviously to run out of ice cream. But um, but no, no. And I was, you know, like you said, we 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 were. I mean, I was trying to deal with the front of house. Brian was, well, also trying to deal with the front of house, I guess, at that, that point, and make cones so that people had cones. Um, and I had the kids. I had Kaleo in a stroller. It was packed. Nona, um, you know, wanted ice cream, and there was no no seats available for her. And I saw this table of like these young guys hanging out, you know, um, very excited with their ice cream. I'm like, would you guys mind if my daughter would, can, you know, sit with you and eat her ice cream? And they're like, yeah, 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 no problem. 
And that ended up being um, Eric Wu, who was our general manager for several years. Mm-hmm. Um, he, he recognized that, you know, we were we were family struggling yeah, to flailing. keep up with, <laughs> you know, what was going on and uh, and offered his help and services, which was wonderful. Um, and, and again, that was just part of the. The, the community spirit of the place. I mean, you, Debbie, you know, making your crack cookies for yeah. our crack, you know, <laughs> salted crack ice cream, yeah. you know, and, and... And what about our first employee? Uh, oh, Caroline! <laughs> right. Caroline, your daughter! Got a job! That's yeah. right. So she figured out what she wanted to do. Yeah. She was there. Um, so, I mean, on she that was. second day, um, we um, it was a Thursday um, mm-hmm. heading into Memorial Day weekend. Um, we continued to sell more ice cream than uh, I could make. And I could see that um, the weekend was going to be uh, tough, if not impossible. And I, on day three, which was um, Friday, the crowds grew because it was Friday of Memorial Day weekend. And, and we had sort of hoped that maybe the initial wave of Wednesday and Thursday um, from the press would, would, would teeter out and, and allow us to keep going. But on Friday, when the crowds got even um, more intense, uh, we started to lose flavors. We'd started with 24 flavors, and uh, we started to just drop flavors like flies. I mean, we were down to, I don't know, 18, 15 flavors by the end of day three. And I could see that there was no way we were going to get through uh, the weekend. And, um, yeah, I mean, it was rough. What was the last flavor left? Well, on Sunday, the last flavor left was a really good flavor, a very underappreciated flavor. It was the, the only flavor that Brian still tries to get us to make this flavor. Bubblegum ice cream. I mean, when <laughs> I was a kid, the flavor that made me love ice cream was bubblegum ice cream from Swinson's mm-hmm. Ice Cream in South Florida, an old-timey uh, faux ice cream parlor that made pink bubblegum ice cream with these big gumballs in them, you know, and you would like... Of course, ours was colored with beet juice. Yeah, ours was colored with beet juice. (laughs) And it had like all natural like chiclets in it. Yeah, Uh, yeah. What was that gum? It was uh, like an all natural gum. I don't know, but they would dissolve when you tried to eat them. It was not good. It was awful. Um, But uh, that was the last flavor. You know, I think it's important to remember that, um, you know, Jackie, you really didn't want us to close. Oh, I, I... I was so upset about You wanted me to stay and like pull like three (laughs) all-nighters in a row making ice cream so that we didn't have to close. Yeah, yeah. uh, Well, I think the fear was that if you close, nobody would come back. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. That was the worst feeling of all. Like Because we closed. It was Saturday of Memorial Day weekend. It was beautiful. It was just a stunning day. It wasn't even 10 o'clock at night. It was like 5 or 6 p.m., and we had to close because mm-hmm. we didn't have any ice cream. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the last those last few flavors we just gave away for free because we felt so bad. You know, people had heard about it and read about it, and they were coming in from all over. And we had to put up a sign on the door. We still saved that sign. Yeah, it says, it's still oh, hanging. Oh, no, we're out <laughs> of ice cream. And, um, and we, we uh, shut down for what ended up being about nine days. And 
we uh, doubled the staff, hired people to train them to make ice cream with me. Caroline made ice cream with me. Caroline made ice cream with me. We moved Christian, one of the uh, scoopers, Scoopers. um, into the kitchen where he still is to this day, working at Ample Hills, making ice cream. So um, it was it was a rough uh, it was a rough period of time. So then what happened when you opened? Well, I mean, when we, we, I mean, before we reopened, when we were sitting there going, is anybody going to come back? Uh, the New York Times uh, reporter for the New York Times came in probably on like day five or day six and knocked on the door and asked if they could write an article about uh, why we had to shut down after opening. And I said, well, okay, figuring, you know, good, you know, any publicity is good publicity. um, But, you know, really fearing that, you know, the headline would be, you know, shop so mismanaged it closes after four days because that's how it felt to us. Right. And truth be told, you know, had we done a little better planning, we could have had a little more ice cream in there. Mm -hmm. But uh, in fact, the headline of the article was, so successful ice cream shop closes after four days and that was um you know a profound turning point that really allowed us to sleep at night and know people would give us a second shot maybe not a third shot or a fourth shot but a second shot yeah i mean that was a defining moment where we really had to say okay so here we are we're successful um we have a product that's incredible and people love it and so how are we going to take this you know through the summer how are we going to keep up with demands what exactly are we going to do how is it and and so then all of a sudden we we went from like oh we have no idea what this is going to be about to okay we have an idea of what this is going to be about so let's figure out how to make sure that you know we can we can make this an incredible space and and get people excited and happy at this point did your dream change well, I mean, certainly it was um, it was shifting. Yes, I mean, I started to see that um, there was gonna if there was gonna be no stopping this, that um, you start to fantasize, um, you know, about all those big ideas. I mean, Ben and Jerry's had been the ultimate inspiration. I mean, I remember first getting pints of um, you know Heath Bar Crunch in the early mid 80s you know in south florida where i grew up and 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 the um, explosion of flavor that they had and all the fun mix-ins and the storytelling that they had done uh with some of the flavors and that was really the inspiration uh, always for ample hills and mm-hmm. you know the idea that this one scoop shop might sort of take on uh that empire uh, was certainly not something that allowed ourselves to to think, but I think after those first four days, and then some of the press that came, and some of the reviews, um, yeah, those those sort of dreams started to seep in uh, and influence how we thought about the future. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, for sure. Um, but you know, I mean, it was it was. Um still very very difficult in that 175 square foot kitchen yeah. that summer to keep up with demand and and as you said you know that that you know we would pick up brian and we'd take him to mcdonald's and he'd get himself <laughs> like you know yeah. a big whopper oh, no i guess that's burger king but whatever <laughs> yeah um one of those sandwiches there big um, yeah yeah or big mac yeah but so I think that um, 
I mean, that takes us up through the, the opening. And I mean, that first summer was really just sort of hanging on by our fingernails. I mean, not in a fin- good way. Yeah. Not, in a good not, way. Yeah. Not financially, but hanging on by our fingernails, trying to keep up with demand. We closed on Mondays. You know, yeah. we had hoped to stay open on, you know, seven days a week, but we had to close every Monday just to play catch up in the kitchen uh, to make enough ice cream for the week. Um, and you know we we yeah the kids the kids were largely unattended um (laughs) i mean you know it was like almost like it takes a village there were there are lots of moms out there that were super duper supportive and um and helpful on, on my end because they could see i was trying to like multitask and figure out how to um you know serve customers uh help the employees figure out staffing write you know, paychecks, basically, because that's what I was doing back then. Um, And, you know, occasionally, you know, they would pick up one of their kids from outside and say, hey, you know, (laughs) you know, your kid was walking down the block. Oh, okay, thanks. You know, so it was it was kind of like that in in the early the early beginnings. And it was wonderful. And those people actually, you know, still friends with and become customers and become, you know, friends and you know, um, and employees, and it was um, it was a really beautiful time, actually. And also, it was a great opportunity, Jackie, to hire a lot of former students. Uh huh. Be able to, um, you know, spread out the jobs. Um, oh yeah. Well, that was. No, that was that's true. I mean, that's that's exactly what what we did and what I was able to do because, um, you know. Uh, they, they, it was it was yeah. wonderful to have all of those you know people that I knew um, students that I had either taught or even were currently you know teaching. <laughs> so. Yeah. And so, what's next? Well, well, yeah. So I mean, I think that I think that you know that really covers that first summer, and uh, you know, as we think about the you know the coming years, um, you know, we uh, pretty much stayed the course and um, kept at it, and uh, I think you know, and then the next um, you know episode, we'd like to talk about uh, the real turning point and the thing that changed from you know moving from one shop to. Uh, what became, you know, 16 stores and uh, a more national company. And that moment happened um, after we opened the store in Gowanus and started uh, shipping ice cream around the country. Uh, And this will, we can discuss more at length, but one of the very first customers that ordered ice cream was a guy by the name of Bob Iger. And uh, we Googled that and we said, well, Bob Iger, that sounds familiar. It was the CEO of Disney. Uh, who had ordered ice cream and we sent him a copy of a cookbook that we had just uh, written and uh, sent that off to him and about three days later he wrote this email to me in October of 2014. Brian, I can't thank you enough for the book and your ice cream is simply incredible. I've already sent a few six packs to friends and I fully intend to introduce others to your magnificent creations. If I can do anything for you, please let me know. Who knows? Maybe we can get Ample Hills to Disney. Best, Bob. It was one of those things that just fell out of the universe and okay. changed everything. So we'll discuss that and more. And more. Next time. Okay. <laughs> Thank As, you, Debbie. Thanks, Debsons.
And so I'm going to...